everybody, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. Conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers, and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi, and I am your host. This week, I got to sit down for a fascinating conversation with Chris Mills. Chris has created the dream job. His work involves teaching surfers how to be better surfers, and he's created his own personal brand that you may have come across online. It's called Surf Strength Coach. He's been making videos for over a decade, and you'll find them all over YouTube. You may also have come across some of his articles in The Inertia on Magic Seaweed and Surfer Today. I say Chris has created a dream job because beyond doing what he loves, he also gets to travel a lot and take his clients on the most incredible waves on the planet. I had a really enlightening conversation with Chris. We discuss Chris's background story, how he's become specialised in helping surfers recover and find overall fitness. We talk about the most common surfing injuries and how to prevent them. We talk weight control, diet, nutrition, breathing, managing fear, and how our own thoughts are all part of the equation. In fact, what is amazing is that there is a misconception that to be fit, you need to work out a lot. Well, there's a lot more about it and I was delighted to hear about it from the man himself Chris Mills so please welcome the surf strength coach Chris Mills hello Chris and welcome to the ocean riders podcast how are you today I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. It's a real pleasure, in fact. And I'm sure there are masses of my listeners who know who you are, but do you think you could introduce yourself to the few listeners who maybe don't know who you are? The elevator speech, huh? Uh, the yeah. elevator spiel. <laughs> <laughs> my name's Chris Mills. I'm a strength and conditioning coach, and I guess you could consider a rehab specialist. And I work from health and rehab and performance predominantly with surfers nowadays. So it started out initially general population and then evolved to working with professionals who also surf to some competitive surfers and anything and everything in between. Excellent. Excellent. So I've been doing a bit of stalking. And so I found out that you grew up in Florida. And I just wanted to know what encouraged you to start surfing in the first place? I think growing up in Florida, like I was always coastal. So I grew mm -hmm. up initially in Cocoa Beach, and then we were in Sarasota and then inland. We moved a lot as a child. But in Florida, it's kind of just inherent. Like mm -hmm. you've either got a skimboard or a boogie board or a surfboard. And I remember, oh, I would have been probably nine or 10. And we were living in Gainesville, which is kind of central Florida at this point, kind of an hour and a half away from the coast. And we pulled out one of my dad's old surfboards, or it was actually my uncle's surfboard that we happened to have and kind of went to the beach and it formally started attempting the process. <laughs> and then it just, again, being in Florida, off and on, ocean interaction, and then high school and college, like it really started to become a lot more consistent surfing. And then it's one of those things you're familiar with. Once you start, you don't stop. Exactly, exactly. I just wanted to know what finding or what book or what encounter actually made you change your field and give up law school and start the sort of holistic therapeutical journey? Where did you find uh -huh. that I was initially going to uh, Well, I dug up an article. Up, huh? I dug up an article. I can't remember where, but there was an article online where it says that you actually went to law school or attempted and, and then. My formal schooling was criminal justice with a focus on pre-law. That was like my Bachelor of Arts and was getting ready to likely go to California for law school. And in the process, like, you know, you finish your four-year degree and just realizing that there wasn't really any interest whatsoever. And so I happened to be, within that time, I'd been doing surf trips in and out of Central America for years by that point. But I was working at a bar and a buddy, like I was going to do a trip to Australia just to surf and backpack. And another buddy was going to do Europe. And we're like, hey, man, let's just tag along. You know, you come with me, I'll come with you kind of thing. And it turned into probably about a year and a half of international travel. And by the end of that, I was firmly, firmly aware that I did not want to pursue law <laughs> or go to law school, <laughs> save myself quarter million dollars alone and not go to law school. And so beyond that, that was like, okay, I'll keep doing 
bartending and surf trips, but I had always been in and out of fitness through training and soccer and whatever other sports have been played. And that ended up me just taking my very first personal training certification. Prior to that, there was always an interest in health and reading and training and nutrition and stuff. But that was that initial like, oh, what am I doing with myself? I'm still bartending kind of thing. Like, let's see if I can make a go with I'm kind of over bartending. Let's try this training thing out. And then that was the catalyst to opening the door of what is the insanity of the health field. I know. And it's so complicated right now because there are so many conflicting ideologies or dogmas or whatever. And it's really difficult to figure anything out on your own now. Nowadays, like before there was just a book and now it's like thousands of websites. Absolutely right. It's the blessing and the curse of the internet, so to speak, or all the information at our fingertips. But there's too many voices and there's not enough, maybe mature is not quite the right word, but there's not enough people perhaps preaching overarching principles and common sense because that's not what sells on social media. It needs to be. Yeah. And it needs to be a hack. Like it needs to be a quick fix. Always. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to sort of Rewind to actually how long did it take to study and to sort of qualify as a certified trainer and then all the different therapeutic certificates that you've got and to finally sort of, how can I say, to actually sort of come up with the idea of surf strength coach? (laughs) So the initial personal training certification, like the field, I don't know if it's changed since in the States. I would assume it hasn't because my first certification was well over a decade ago by this point. It doesn't take as much time as it should. It should be a lot more licensed kind of governing centralized body because the potential positive impact or harm you could do as a personal trainer is paramount. Mm. So there's unfortunately, I mean, I guess this could extend to any field, but there's a lot of very underqualified people influencing people's bodies. So with that said, I think the first cert, like it was through a better recognized qualification. You want to really fast track it, you could study it in a couple of weeks, probably less. Seriously? But then it doesn't take much at all. And then some of the bigger governing bodies that have, so like the NSCA, they have a CSCS, a certified strength and conditioning specialist or something. That's more well-recognized, does take quite a bit more study. But nowadays as well, you know, there's college curriculum, there's exercise biomechanists, there's kinesiologists. I had a pre-law degree. So (laughs) going into it, I had a drive, a need to know. I've always kind of had a need to know and a very driven ego in the sense that I want to know and I want to be seen to know in Mm. a sense. So after that first cert started the onslaught of ongoing certifications and secondary education and internships. And like even this year, I'm 12 years into the field or so, and I've got two or three certification courses and secondary education courses going on. So it's kind of a never ending field in the sense that you do need to consistently upskill. And just so you can work with a broader array of clientele, for example, like me now working with surfers, the average 45 year old surf guy that I work with has astoundingly poor nutrition, generally speaking. So there needs to be an awareness of how to begin coaching nutrition implementation and habitual changes. They've probably had some type of joint reconstruction somewhere along the way. So I need to know how to deal with that. Mm. There are probably some ongoing pain issues. So I need to know how to do that. I have some massage therapy credentials so I can put hands on someone, yada, yada, yada. So it just does become if you want to immerse yourself in the field and work quote unquote holistically, you do need just a broader scope of understanding. So. You just need to be prepared to learn and read. So then within that journey of personal training evolving into pain and rehab and more specialization, I guess you could say, it's working with general population. It's not that I don't enjoy it. Like I still train a handful of women here in town. I'll work with grandmothers for recovery, but it's not my driver. Mm -hmm. And so in order to stay passionate, you've got to kind of take your health profession towards something that you really are passionate about. So being able to combine my understanding of the body and training and rehab and combining that with surfing, I'm like, let's give this a try. And so I started pumping out some YouTube videos and started working with more people that do water-based sports. And then here we are 10 or 12 years later and we're running international coaching trips and I have websites with surf fitness programs. And so it's been a process and it was just a lot of persistence 
yeah. think was what the biggest thing was persistence still making YouTube videos to this day, you know, yes. and it's started years ago. Actually, they're really, really good. I mean, I've I definitely benefited the surf warm up video because, sorry, I'm sort of bringing it back to my personal case. I'm kind of stiff. Yeah. I spent loads of years working on my business and being hunched over the computer for far too long and not getting enough waves. And that kind of stiffened me up. And then a sort of sciatical thing from having, you know, lifting too many heavy boxes and things like that and yeah it was great to actually have that insight and it was free and it was like there yeah. and that's such an enjoyable part I really enjoy the videos because they're very precise and they've got really simple tools you don't have to go out and buy a load of equipment thank and you all sorts of things like that no it's really really cool it's funny like with the YouTube videos as soon as it's edited I will never ever watch it again really? <laughs> it's like it's still to this day one of the most embarrassing things like my girlfriend my partner fiona i'll occasionally hear her watching something of mine i'm just like please turn it off or uh -oh. turn the volume down <laughs> it's just cringeworthy it totally is but anyways no but they're very good and they're very well explained so yeah i definitely encourage the listeners to have a look at your youtube videos and there. Thank you. We'll go through the whole sort of at the end of this conversation. But yeah, really, really important. And I just wondered what it felt like to record your first video. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember the location. I remember it taking a lot of takes <laughs> and being nervous, quite nervous. And then it probably took me saying like the same thing over and over about uh, probably a total of 20 times or so. And I think it was just <laughs> like a basic stretch video. And I think the posting it and making like publishing it was the most kind of nerve wracking because you open yourself to the internet, which is a cruel and brutal place, yes. especially in the health field. <laughs> yeah, it, it was strange. But like anything, the more you do it, after a while, you don't give a shit and you're yeah. quite comfortable with it. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, it's the same with podcasting. Like the first podcast mm -hmm. I sort of put out, I was so terrified that I'd get <laughs> made fun of and, and you know, people, all my friends would go, Ugh. but yeah, you get used to it and it's really cool actually. And you, Tasty places. So do you think that you could recap maybe the pillars of your training programs and your philosophy in terms of health and fitness for surfing? So philosophy one's easy. This was heavily influenced. One of the biggest influences in the way I view the human body in training is a fellow named Paul Check, who runs the Czech Institute. And he basically brings it down to six foundational principles. And I'm going to be totally annoyed with myself if I can only remember five at the moment. But <laughs> it's thoughts, breathing, hydration, nutrition, movement, and sleep. I got it, six. So those are the six foundations of the human system. And depletion of any one of those could potentially manifest in some issue. So I just filmed a video earlier today for Instagram discussing some of these issues with a pop-up and being overweight. <clears throat> and what I explained literally verbatim is, and I say this often, your health equals your surfing. Hmm. They are the same. And your health is comprised of those six foundational principles. Again, so if there is a health issue or a fitness issue or a pain issue or a lack of performance issue, the holistic approach is looking at those foundations of health. Because if they're not in order, people just throw fitness. That is their solution to health. And they're forgetting all the other variables, which are generally far more important. And so you've got to look at it from that framework and get those things in check so that you can layer on fitness into a body that is nourished and capable to apply stress loads to. Mm. So that's the base of how I look at surfing in the human body. You've got to get the system of systems healthy because surfing is this beautifully dynamic interaction with energy, the ocean's energy, right? And so all we are, are these weird consummations of energy and we're a system of systems. So if there's a default in any of those systems, something about us won't function or may not function. And then it potentially prevents us from just being able to surf. And that's our interaction. Like it's a soul feeder, you know, <laughs> like it's deeper than just fun. That's my 10,000 foot overview. And then you start getting in deeper to not deeper, but more on a, a physical level. Does the person have the prerequisite mobility? How do their joints move? Healthy joints, healthy spine, shoulder, hips. Cool. How do they breathe? Do they have breathing awareness to deal with hold down situations? Or do they have enough breathing awareness to gauge breath rate to recover? Or as they're increasing paddling speed or slowing down paddling speed, do they start having just the basic strength and endurance to do what it is they want to do unimpeded? 
Yeah. And so all I do that I just look at the individual and see what's lacking, what's inhibiting their surfing. And then yeah. you just go forward from there. That's really interesting. And what was interesting is one of my guests, Jen Beesman, said that if you don't have the flexibility, just don't bother going in the water. And to be flexible on the board and on the water is really, really important. It's just, again, it's easiest for people to get a sense of this if they think of really high level surfing. So go watch McFanning, Slater, Dane Reynolds, and don't look at their surfing, look at their body. Watch their body, watch their hips, watch their spine, their shoulders, and just see the interplay of that movement. And it's the same, it's no different than high level gymnastics or martial arts or dance. And so you need to have a prerequisite of mobility. So flexibility is just like passive. Can I push your knee to touch you in the face? Kind of like hamstring flexibility. The mobility, the control is, can you actively do that? Can you control your range of motion? That's what we really need as surfers is mobility. And then you lay this body that can move very well because surfing will require us if we're doing it well to get into a dynamic position. And then you just start getting stronger and build some endurance and some paddling strength and go from there. But yeah, yeah she's, Jen's totally right. She's a legend and <laughs> you got to move well. You got to move. Yeah. And what is the most common injury that a surfer would face? Do you have lots of people coming up with the same kind of problems? Shoulders and spine. Those are probably the two big ones. Again, let's think of a generic stereotypical 35 to 50 year old male professional surfer. And the only reason I'm using this as a stereotype is because that's generally, that's who I'm usually working with. Hips are too stiff. The hips are a a crux of movement in the human body. And if those lock up, it's going to screw things up above or below. So hips are generally too stiff. Usually there's been some lower back thing, whether it's a disc pathology or stenosis or something, there's some spinal issue going on and shoulders just get worn out because we don't use them or <laughs> we neglect them and then try to use them. So usually it's the low back thing and mm -hmm. the shoulder thing. Those are kind of the two big that's probably what I see the most of. Like it's rarely I don't have somebody within that age group that doesn't have one of those issues. Right, right. That's really interesting, actually. And I can relate. And also, I was just wondering about another one of my guests called Simon Short, who wrote The Average Surfer's Guide, talks about something called the style trap. And where you don't improve because you don't want to look foolish out in yeah. the water. And I wondered if your training programs actually help you you know, go further beyond that style trap and actually sort of go beyond either your fear of wiping out or, you know, sort of going beyond that. Do you address that kind of issue in your programs? With my new program, we're actually just about to release an app. And within that, we start touching on some technique. Right. And with another, I'm helping to develop a full technique process with a fellow named Clayton, a neighbor, nine neighbor, knee neighbor, I always mess up his last name, where we begin to address that even more fully. Because Surfing progression, like you can, in Clayton's words, you can look at it from mind, body, equipment, and ocean. So those are the biggest things to essentially focus on or impediments. So the fear of looking like an idiot on a surfboard, that's that skill trap, right? Or style <laughs> trap. Yeah. We hammer this home on our trips. It's one of the first things I'll talk about is that people need to understand the requirements of failure for surfing. There is an inherent huge need for failure and lots and lots of it. And so often what we continue telling people on our coaching trips is that you've got to fall more. You have mm. to fall more because you have to try new things. Mm. And that's the progression level. And so surfing is a very strange ego driven sport where we don't want to look like a kook. Yeah. Yeah. So we do get stuck or stalled in progression because we don't want to waste our one wave of the day because we're trying a new turn or something mm. like that. So it is quite difficult to get people to accept that and yeah. to stop giving a shit about <laughs> what other people necessarily think or consider of you in the surf. But it's a hard thing to do. Like I still will get very in my head if I'm in a lineup with a new lineup with a bunch of really good surfers. Everybody does, no matter your skill level. That's what people I think need to more intensely realize is that no matter your skill level, you will still face those situations and still face those weird internal dialogues. And you just need to embrace the fact that you've got to suck a little more in order <laughs> to get to that next level of style. 
Then also are various on-land methods that you can use of body positioning. Carver skateboard work is really good to start developing better style or fluidity and flow. But there is the necessary process of failure and falling. Yeah. yeah. I kind of rambled a bit, but is that answering that style trap? It makes me rebound on actually the importance of thoughts and your foundation principles of your health programs. And I just wondered... How do thoughts and possibly the breathing impact surfing proficiency? It's dramatic. So kind of dependent upon skill level. Again, I'll always discuss this failure process on the like day one or two of the trip. And then that everybody on our boat or on our trip or whoever's listening, mindset and understanding that surf coaching is emotional and mental coaching. Hands down. Hands down. And so once you accept that, the thoughts are an integral part of it. So it could be looked at thoughts of self-defeatist attitude or I can't, it's too big, it's too stressful. We deal with that every single day on our surf trips. Mm. Thoughts of it's too scary, it's too big, I'm not capable to thoughts of fear. Fear is a really, really big one. So I think again on this whole surf journey, an essential part of that coaching process is for people to come to recognize that their thoughts and their mindset and their fears are always going to be there for as long as they are surfers. It's going to change. The situations, what makes me nervous in the surf might be very different from gets you fear stricken in the surf, mm-hmm. but we'll all go through it. There needs to be a process of handling that situation when it arises. Breath is part of that. So how does that manifest? Like, for example, for breath, is it deep breathing or? I don't even want to call it meditative breathing. Can you control your breath and can you do it calmly, right? Breath rate influences heart rate. Heart rate influences breath rate back and forth. If you jack up your heart rate and your breath rate, your brain, your physiology is aware of that. And if you throw emotions on top of that, good or bad, it's going to have a larger outcome. So there has to be some process of can you calm your breath? Can you calm your mind? Because that's going to have a physiologic downstream effect. It's going to chill you out. And so – that's just part of it. Like, can you slow in, slow out, slow your breath rate down, slow your breath rate out. So an example of that years back, I got my ass handed to me in a wave called rifles in the mental wise, really, really heavy situation. Like it's a truly high performance wave. The next year we got back there and it happened to be working and it was big. It was solid and capable for me, but I get into the lineup and because of all the thoughts from year previous, like my heart rates through the roof. And I was caffeinated up a fair bit, (laughs) but I was in a high alert situation and my heart rates up. I can feel that my stress hormones are up. And for no real reason other than the mental story I was bringing into that situation from whatever horrible thing happened the year prior. And so that's where I just need to sit and focus on my breath, stop ramping up the anxieties of the situation. Get control of your thought pattern, get control of your breath pattern so you can center and focus. And then you can rationally look at whatever the situation may be. And this is what we talk about, this kind of fear analysis. So do you have awareness and preparation? Is the situation you're in even requiring some type of fear response? Is there a rationale behind it? Or is it just you psyching yourself up and out? And then being aware, do you have the skill set to push forward? Do you have the preparation to push forward? But yes, at the outset, it's just calm breathing. And then downstream of that is breath recovery strategies, hold down breath work, all these other variations of breath. But it starts with, can you chill? Can you breathe? Mm -hmm. And so like on on trips and with clients, lay in your stomach, get into something called crocodile breathing. And can you do that? Because if you can't do that, there's no way you're going to do any of the other breath stuff. What's crocodile breathing? It's just a way to get somebody to feel what we call 360 degree breathing. So it's true diaphragmatic breathing. Right. If people are told to just belly breath, like on their back, they can cheat it and not necessarily use a diaphragmatic contraction. Whereas if you lay on your stomach, Mm -hmm. you'll feel, you ever seen an alligator or a crocodile breathe? It just expands out to Mm -hmm. the side and posteriorly. That's what you're going for. You lay on your stomach or lay on your stomach, you breathe. Your belly expands out to the sides and it expands posteriorly. So you're, imagine your torso is a canister. You're expanding 360 degrees, not just yeah. pushing your stomach forward. That's just the initial starting point for some calm, chill breathing. That's the starting point to then just take it to 
performance work, calming work, meditation. But yeah, like the thoughts, the mindset, especially with when we do our mental wise for first timers trips that Jen joined us with so much of that trip is exposure to new things for surfers. And there's a lot of fears and pressures and anxieties and egos going on with that. So the mindset's huge. It's a critical part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. My personal story is a real conflict in my head with fear and trauma from one of the events that sort of traumatized me. I guess I'm going to hijack this conversation a little bit, but what is your advice to surfers who've had a traumatic experience and to actually sort of get back in the water? Is it progression in terms of wave size bit by bit? Is it sort of going out into the deep end? Is it therapy? What would you recommend? All of the above. (laughs) All of the above. Dependent upon. So another thing we always talk through this coaching process is graded exposure. So if I've never surfed, let's say my biggest wave ever is like four foot. I'm not going to go out and surf eight foot and expect to be successful. You're going to try to get some five foot. You might paddle out and sit in the channel and watch some seven to eight foot, but not get, you know, there's this process of graded exposure that might be required for somebody coming over some emotional trauma. Mm -hmm. Generally in a situation like that, if there's some type of near death Mm -hmm. experience or something, because as most surfers, we will have a near death experience. Sports therapist, sports psychologist, for sure. Because there's too much embedded emotional trauma and the stories that we wrap around that. And usually people, not saying that I do by any means, but most people I don't think have the tools in place to know how to deal with something like that. Mm. And so what it comes out is panic in a situation that shouldn't have panic. So sports psychologist, for sure. Sometimes often just talking about it can be quite helpful, but then looking at it from a learning perspective. Okay, so I have this fear from this situation. What can I learn from it? What can I apply? Because you can take that learning and understanding and start applying it to this graded progression. Maybe you nearly died in eight foot surf. Okay, cool. So get the awareness. What did you learn from it? Take that into some four or five foot surf where you're totally comfortable There's no fear kicking up, but take that awareness to it. Mm. And slowly over time, you'd work back up to some bigger situations. That fear might come back up. You feel as rush of blood to the head type of thing. That was a Coldplay album. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, but you know what I mean? Like getting all hot and anxiety ridden and nervous. And some people will go into total fear, panic attacks. Mm. That's where they need to see some type of therapist. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a loop, a limbic system, emotional loop tied that's creating physical responses. So that's the tools of some type of professional. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. And great advice for anybody who's listening who's had a traumatic experience. Mm. And we all will. We all will. As a surfer, we all will have it. You listen to any of those big wave dudes, every single one of them has a story where they've come up unconscious, like coughing up blood, you know, Mm. like... But that level is so extreme. We all have that. It's on some different mm. different level of intensity, but we all have it. Mm. And we will again. We will experience something like that again, probably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wondered if we could talk about nutrition for a few minutes. Yeah. What your take is on um, how it's possible to make any headway with the conflicting kind of dogmas these days. I think it's relatively simple in the sense of let's just be rational about it, right? So I've just been in it long enough that I've seen a lot of fads now come and go. And you just look at kind of, again, the overarching principles of what's in play. So what do we know for sure? Processed food's pretty shitty for the human body. We know that for sure, right? (laughs) Don't eat it. (laughs) So that's pretty simple. We know the body requires adequate hydration. That doesn't mean drinking soda pops and Coca-Colas and whatever else. It means drinking water. So it's these kind of base inherent things that we can agree upon. So then I start looking at nutrition from a biochemical individuality, meaning what works for you might not work for me. There'll be similarities, just how like I have an allergy to amoxicillin, which is antibiotic, you might not at all. There's a chemical individuality. So some people might do very well with a ketogenic diet because there is potentially a genetic predisposition for Mm. that, the ability to metabolize fatty acids and stuff like that. Or maybe they've got optimal functioning gut health so they can really easily break down higher fat diets, whereas somebody might not at all, right? It might ruin them. So 
what works for me might not work for you, but it's very likely based on whole food, right? So then you also have to look at it from, I think, traditional cultural perspective. Like, let's look at the food heritage we might have come from. Like, if you look at blue zones, right? So they look where the largest, the centenarians, right? You look at some of the commonalities of varied, varied nutritional standpoint, meaning macronutrient ratios. Like some do higher carbohydrate, some do less carbohydrate, more protein and fat, but it's whole food, traditional based diet. And they have a lot of other positive surrounding lifestyle factors, Mm -hmm. like priorities in life. They have a drive, they have a family community, you know, things like that. And so the lens of individuality, Let's look at it from a cultural, traditional perspective and stop eating modern shit. Like <laughs> that is the biggest, I can't make it any more simple than that. So then people get into these ridiculous nuances of, well, you shouldn't eat beans or don't eat rice or you be gluten free or don't eat animal protein, only be vegetarian. Okay, cool. So let's start with the framework of whole foods, right? You got to cook it. Protein, any source, whatever you want. You want to eat animals? Cool. You want to eat vegan, vegetarian protein sources? All right, fine. Understand that whatever your choice is, your body might not necessarily agree with you. For somebody that does a high vegetarian diet, let's say it's a lot of legumes and you've got some type of autoimmune issue, your body probably isn't going to like you consuming that amount of legumes, which Mm -hmm. could be potentially pro-excitatory for the immune system. We could all eat more vegetables, both raw and cooked. Anybody who says all vegetables need to be raw, it's bullshit. Like a variety of raw and cooked vegetables, some types of adequate protein, see what works for your body, hydrate more efficiently, and start just tailoring your carbohydrate in a sense to your output and seeing what works best. Potatoes aren't bad. Fruit's not bad. Rice isn't bad. Grains aren't necessarily bad. The quantities people eat grains is bad. But we just need to tailor our carbohydrate intake to – how healthy we are, our gut health, are we overweight, are we active, and we can adjust those things. Mm. Until you got that stuff in place, worrying about being ketogenic or whatever other fad carnivore diets going on at the moment where it's like all meat, it doesn't make sense to start doing with those things until you just have the base of drinking enough water, could you probably eat some more vegetables, are you getting some protein intake, and adjusting carbohydrate intake based on what you need. Mm. Don't eat modern convenience foods because the food technology system has been developed for convenience and does not at all take into regard or account what human physiology requires. Yeah. yeah. I'd really like to focus on gut health because I think that's one of the most mm. important things that people sort of overlook when yes. looking into a diet. And I wanted to have your yes. insight on that. So, you know, I talk about the human body is a system of systems. And the digestive system, if that's out of whack, every other system is out of whack. You cannot be fully healthy if the digestive system is not functioning and operating highly. So generally, back to the food thing, I'll generally recommend to people, unless we're getting into details and doing some actual food consultation, like, look, do a paleo diet in terms of those restrictions. I don't care how much protein, it's not necessarily low carb, but do the restrictions of a paleo diet. So paleo, you're doing protein, whatever source you want for the most part, a bunch of vegetables, fruits and starches are fine in my opinion, but you're getting rid of dairy, you're getting rid of legumes, and you're getting rid of soy-based products and processed oils. Those are the big Mm -hmm. ones you're taking out. Also on paleo, you're taking out all grains. Grains, legumes, dairy, gluten, that type of stuff has the potential to just really piss off a digestive system and start to degrade it and start to potentially influence towards what they call leaky gut syndrome or something. Mm -hmm. And then once that happens, the immune system becomes very excited and hypersensitive. So the paleo diet at its crux is a therapy-based diet hoping to lower inflammation and to give the gut a break. Okay. That gut health, a healthy functioning digestive system is paramount to you as a human. So I'm of the opinion, and I've personally experienced this, is that that needs to be a focal point of health. So a lot of nutritional strategies should be taking gut health into account. Your lifestyle, your food choices should take gut health into account because Mm -hmm. modern lifestyle put us into an environment and a situation where we are destroying digestive systems. And that 
it's not a surprise that you're seeing I think increases in autoimmune disorders, neurological disorders, because they're all linked to digestive system health. Mm. So I don't know if I eloquently explained the paleo thing, but it is, I think, a starting point for people to start looking into gut health. Yeah. Consider a a cleanse even if you want. It's a template. That's exactly what it is to then work from. And you can introduce things back in, but initially for like a month, it's giving the system a break and giving the digestive system a chance just to deal with non-processed whole foods that aren't going to piss off a small intestine. They're not going to increase inflammation in the system. It's a template. You're exactly right. That's really interesting. And I was just wondering also, because sometimes, especially people in my age group are, are facing kind of too many kilos and overweight and this and that, the other. But it's really, really frustrating because if you try to go on a diet and lose weight, it just never works because you put it on back again. Is there a strategy that you can use with this paleo template and then, you know, repairing the gut? Is that linked to it or is that nothing to do with it and sort of complementary? It absolutely is. So weight loss is partially an energy intake in, energy out, right? That is an influence. Then there's also all the hormonal systems influences on weight loss. There's age because certain hormonal systems are downgrading or upgrading. And so usually it's a combination of factors. So if somebody is having problems losing weight and they've done some type of process, you kind of have to start looking deeper, looking Mm. into the hormonal systems, thyroid function, like that's beyond my scope. But I have enough awareness of these things to be able to talk about it and to send people off to someone. But you can eat clean, right? So let's say paleo or whatever you want to call it. I'm eating clean. I'm eating whole food, whether it be vegetarian or animal proteins and vegetables and fruits. Once it's, in my opinion, the process, let's get you eating clean. Stop eating junk foods and garbage. Once that's happened, let's start looking at overall energy intake. So literally, let's have a look at calories for a period of time because sometimes people are way over consuming who knows what. Fat's an easy one to really over consume. And so you start looking at energy intake and is energy intake too much? Is it not enough? Do we then start looking at, okay, energy intake, here's our baseline. We've looked at this for a week or so. You would have an awareness of how to adjust energy intake. Oh, I've had too much fat today. Let me not have this much olive oil at dinner. I've had too many carbs today at breakfast. Let me maybe not have as many carbs at dinner. You can start adjusting energy intake and see what happens. Over time, if nothing's changing, then you start adding energy output. You start adding more exercise potentially right. to it. So it is this process. Weight loss is not linear, and that's a big problem for a lot of people because the human body is always in flux. So it is this very nonlinear process that requires modulation, and it's a journey, which is – I don't like using the term, but it is – And if things do not continue on the path, you got to start looking deeper. So if that initial process of let's eat clean, let's take a look at energy intake. Do we need to add energy output? Do we need to modulate the food? Okay, now do we need to start looking at some type of hormone profiles? Does somebody need to start looking at gut health? Does somebody need to start checking out your thyroid function? Because all those things could be overriding the basis of good food and Mm. calories in, calories out. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Actually, it takes me to the, to the final question on the whole sort of holistic approach. And it would be skincare, because I guess the skin is our biggest organ for that kind of, you know, you're putting toxic things on your skin. I wanted to know what your opinion was on our skincare and actually protecting your skin as a surfer. Yeah, so I'm not as well versed as I should be on chemicals. Like I tend to just, there's a couple articles I have on my computer that I send to people in terms of looking for actual, it's easy to find nowadays. I think the Environmental Working Group has a list of chemicals within sunscreen that you should avoid. And so there's a lot of decent sunscreen manufacturers nowadays that are like coming out with some quality stuff. I try not to slather myself in sunscreen. Like I tend to put on a long sleeve rashy when I'm surfing, mm-hmm. I'm boardies. I will absolutely zinc up my face for sure. But when I do use sunscreen, I am fortunate that Fiona, my partner, she's into skincare and she does a lot of photography shoots for very care stuff. So we have a lot of really good sunscreens around. Right. But yeah, so I'm 
all for sun exposure. I think it's a critical part of the human body. Like we need to be in sun. People need to grade their exposure. If you're a fair-skinned redhead, it might take some time exposing yourself to earlier times of the day, getting into some more of the red light spectrum and the UVBs or A's, I forget which, but grading into it over time where I try to be out in the sun with my skin like full on for 30 to 60 minutes almost every day. Right. But because the human organism has evolved with sunlight, like it's not foreign to us. We've evolved different parts of the world. So we have a genetic predisposition probably for that. But I think getting out in the sun is critical. Doing it in a smart way is critical. Like I said, I don't want to often cover myself in sunscreen. So I'd rather wear some skin protection. Yeah. Yeah, cover up when I can. But then also your skin is an organ. Anything you put on it, you are absorbing into yourself. So be aware of – same with makeups, right, and beauty yeah. products. Like start making some conscientious aware decisions of what you're putting on your skin because it's no different than eating it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And actually that sunlight exposure brings me to sleep, which is super important as well. And I just wanted to know if you have any any advice about how to implement – a balanced sleep schedule so that that sleep is a recovering sleep and not just a sort of uh, yeah bad moment to pass. I don't know how to say it. I think it's one of those things people try to hack, right? Like I wrote a post on Instagram, I think just yesterday or something that like people need to stop trying to hack health and understand it's just putting in the work. Sleep's the same way. So like there needs to become almost a process for it. Like I don't like watching TV right up to going to sleep. Like we do not have a TV in our bedroom. I want our bedroom as dark as possible. I have a sleep mask. Like mm-hmm. I need sleep. Mm-hmm. I cannot function on a non-optimal sleep. So as dark as possible, stop looking at really bright screens at night. Like it really is proven that it offsets melatonin production. You know, the melatonin is helping to drive the brain into sleep stages. It's proven that us staring at screens offsets the blue light. So we've got, like, don't get me wrong, I will binge some Netflix. and (laughs) But I try to get off the Netflix like uh, 45 minutes or so before going to bed. Read, do something that's chill for you. Whatever Mm -hmm. works, it's different from person to person. But we have like a salt lamp, we've got candles, something to try to start letting the system know it's, it's time to start calming down. And then getting into some type of routine. So like I'll usually do some chill breath work or some light stretching. I always read some fiction, like always have some science fiction thing going on. And just like I recommend to a client yesterday to start listening through some good headphones, binaural beats to try to start calming down. I think it's a matter of finding what works for somebody, but they need to understand that it's a process. Like If you've slept terribly for the last five or 10 years, it's not going to happen in the span of a week. And there might need to be a need for some specific supplementation. Doc Parsley's sleep supplement is something I've recommended to clients fairly frequently. Yeah. So it's just kind of those surrounding factors. Can you calm down? Can you chill? Stop all the brightness in the house. Start putting Mm -hmm. on some lower level lighting. Do something that is calm. Don't argue. If me and Fiona argue, my sleep's gone for the night. Like it'll screw me up all night. And just getting really putting a relevance on sleep outside of hydration like if your sleep's off the human body like we just need to sleep it's that simple (laughs) yeah that's really really exciting and really interesting i love the way that you know you just address every single facet i don't know how to say it in english every single could sort of take life as a crystal and that you've got every face of the crystal is part of your training program and that's really 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 interesting a lot of trainers just do the fitness bit and that's it and then forget about the rest of it a lot of people don't even want to hear the rest of it most people don't yeah you know again like it's our modern idea of health and we think it's just going out and smashing out a hit class at the gym for 45 minutes and then we can go on and lead our like modern processed food, blue light, staring, high speed, anxiety, stress lives. And it just doesn't work. It might work for a while, but it will stop at some point. Yeah, exactly. I guess we're sort of getting to the end of this conversation, which is just fascinating. I could go on days about this. It's just so, it's so interesting and right up my sort of area of interest. But maybe we could sort of move on to actual, the surf trips that you organize. So how does this work? How often do you do them? And what is introduced? 
We're getting up to where we're doing about four a year. So we're actually just now about to release our initial dates for 2020. So in 2020, we'll have a trip in Nicaragua. We'll do some Mentawais. We'll likely do North Sumatra. There's some talk about maybe doing Morocco again, maybe a Sri Lanka. So it came all about rather serendipitously that I just happened to get in touch and get to know some really good technique coaches. I happened to have this weird social media following. <laughs> I got introduced to some people that have boats in the mental wise. It was kind of selfish, right? So like me and my coaches, the coaches that we use, we all want to surf better and we're all just froth heads. But most people are the same, but there's some out there now, but there's not been a cohesive process to really help people surf. So in the sense of they're surf coaches, right? But most surf coaches, they're just somebody that surfs well and they don't necessarily know how to coach. And then the whole other aspect of coaching is, like I said, this health equals surfing. There's not necessarily a lot of surf coaches that have a lot of biomechanical and anatomical understanding. And so we just started putting this thing together. So we now do these trips where we're looking at mindset, we're looking at breath work, we're looking at high level technique coaching, high level in the sense of really good coaches. You could be any level and join one of our trips, depending on the location. And then bringing with it the understanding of, okay, does your body move right? Here's the things you need to do. Here's your hips. Your hips are locked up. This is why it's affecting your pop-up. You can't turn and do these fins out the back rotations because your lead hip is locked up and the spine's locked up. So you're not able to drive this rotation. So it's this kind of combination of coaches and viewpoints and eyes. And we now just take it to incredible parts of the world and just help people get to their next level of surfing. And more importantly, give them a better understanding of how to keep improving because surfing's hard, right? Like it's hard. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very difficult. And there's a lot of opinions out there on how to get better, but it needs to be this collective approach where Look at your mindset. Look at the thoughts you're bringing to it. Understand the hurdles and challenges that this surf progress is going to take. Let's get your body right. And then let's start layering on the coaching. Mm. And it takes time. So we do these trips all – I love these trips. Like I ramble about them. But we do them all over the world now. And depending mm. on the location, dictates the skill level. Like I turn away people from trips because it's not the right skill level for people. And we direct them towards something else beautiful locations. We're just trying to create an experience for them that really enriches their life as a surfer, but also just lets them have a really cool surf trip. Mm. And so here we are. Yeah. So how many students do you have per trip? Does it depend? The smallest we've done is eight. I think this upcoming North Sumatra trip boat trip we have is 11 surfers. So it depends where it depends on rooming capacity. Yeah. Like I think Nicaragua is going to be nine or 10 surfers. That's probably about max. 10-ish is about max for mm -hmm. a group. So we do keep it kind of small. We tend to have always two coaches, sometimes three. And yeah, again, they're amazing. Like surfing is deeper. It's not just a hobby, right? Like it's a part to get romantic about it. Like it, it truly is an integral part of me as a person. It is me. Mm -hmm. And it's probably you. Yeah. It is what we are. And so to help people find a new awareness of themselves as a surfer. So in terms of actual skill, how to handle more stressful situation, all this stuff extends to the rest of their life. And to be able to help people become a different version of themselves as a surfer, which will then influence other parts of their life. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, I think at its core, why we're doing these trips. And it's just really fun to go somewhere that has good waves. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so when's the next trip that uh, listeners could book? Depending when this comes out, this might be first notification of the world. Uh. <laughs> so I'm dialing it down March 13th to 25th of 2020. We're going to do a mental wise for first timers. So registration for that will probably open up in about a week. So depending when this comes out, it might already have happened. We're doing Nicaragua in, I want to say June 14th of 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a seven or 10 day trip. That's our first time doing something in, in that part of the world. So that'll be cool. What kind of surfers are going to be there? Is it advanced or intermediate? Or? So mental wise for first timers, 
it needs to be intermediates. Mm -hmm. So what I've come to find is that surfers have this horrendous habit of drastically overstating their abilities. (laughs) (laughs) But it becomes the polar opposite. Like you get really, really good surfers. They're like, oh, I'm okay. I'm all right. But you get like, so so for (laughs) midwives for first timers, lower intermediates are cool, right? Like you need to be on, it doesn't need to be short high performance boards, but some shorter boards. Mm-hmm. We'd like you to have at least experienced some type of reef break before. It doesn't need to be super hectic. It's not gnarly. These are not people that are like getting barreled off the bat. It's introducing them to some world-class waves, but doing it in a very controlled setting, doing it in a smaller surf setting. So we go mental-wise early season, less boats around, less crowds, smaller surf. So that kind of lower to middle intermediate spectrum, like you're making pop-ups, but we're really trying to instill in them, A, you're going to see some high performance surf and get to surf it to really feel and experience it, but not let them cement bad habits. Like, so we're usually really changing their pop-up. We're changing their fear response in the surf. We're giving them awareness of breathing and coaching them to that next stage. So that's meant's Nicaragua, it'll probably be kind of that middle intermediate road. If we do Sri Lanka, that'll be more beginner oriented. North Sumatra is higher skill level, like higher intermediates to even some advanced surfers. That's more of like, let's go get some barrels and and that type of thing. So kind of across the board, like we're lucky now to be able to kind of get to certain parts of the world at certain times of the year that kind of offer waves for certain skill levels. It just makes the process easier. Yeah, that's so exciting. Well, to go off on this conversation for absolutely ages, but yeah, that's really, really come exciting. On trips. You <laughs> come to one of our trips. Well, exactly. I mean, I'm just sort of yeah. thinking, processing in my head right now, like, okay, when can I make it? Like 2020, that's, yeah. that sounds like a good time because it'll give me time yeah. to be fit and, and you know, yeah. ready and everything. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, I guess we're just almost leading to the end of this conversation, which is a delight. I just wanted to know if there was a book or podcast that sort of changed your life or your vision of your life as it is today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. As soon as we get off this talk, I'm going to immediately remember like three or four other books. I should. <laughs> An easy one that I always recommend is Paul Check's How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy. It's a very like just think of basic user's manual for the human body. Cheap buy, good, easy read. There's a book called Prometheus Rising by, I think it's, is it Robert Anton Wilson? I'm probably butchering the name, but the book is called Prometheus Rising. Really good. I should actually reread it. I think it should almost be mandatory reading for just about any adult that realizes we're carrying around bags full of bullshit from our childhood and parents. And like, <laughs> I think that's a really, really great read. I like books by Joe Dispenza. I have it just over there in the drawer. The Brains, oh, it's one of his more recent ones. I'm sorry. I'm putting on the spot here. So I'm not going to oh, worry. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And then podcasts, like you had mentioned, Rich Roll, great podcast. I listen to a lot of some Tim Ferriss stuff, mm-hmm. kind of the big ones. Lately, I've stopped listening to as much health and fitness stuff, and I've stopped reading as much health and fitness stuff because I've just kind of gotten tired of it. So it's been more along the lines of reading a bunch of science fiction and some self-help stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'd say those two books are a good starting point for a lot of people. Or the third one, Anything by Joe Dispenza. I'd say that's probably it off the top of my head. Mm. Well, that's really good reading anyway. We'll put this all in the show notes so people can actually cool. sort of connect to the books. That's really interesting. I guess I have sort of four questions that I ask my guests at the end of the podcast, which is basically sentences to finish. So the first sentence would be, I love. I love surfing. Great. I love my life. Excellent. I miss. Good Mexican food. Why is it there's none in Western Australia? There's none in Australia anywhere. (laughs) Okay, this is a good cue for somebody starting a business to open it. Back in the day, I looked into starting a proper taco truck in Sydney, but zoning laws at the time were preventing it. It might be different now, but yeah, a proper taco truck would kill it. (laughs) I wish. Oh, I wish. That's a tough one. You know, honestly, at the moment, I don't wish for too much. Like, I feel like life's going pretty incredibly well, to be totally honest. That's great. 
as stupid as it is, like I wish more cash would come along, but I think most of us wouldn't mind some type of cash injection in life. Some more, maybe just some work opportunities for some cash to be injected. But no, overall, <laughs> life's pretty fantastic. <laughs> and the last one is I want. I want to feel more at ease with myself and the work I'm doing. I'm very self-critical and very in the sense of like driven, like I'm most often unsatisfied. And so I'd like to just get to contentment. I think it was, maybe it was even Laird Hamilton. I heard a quote at one point. It was like saying something like, I don't want my kids to be happy. I want them to be content because happiness is this weird fleeting thing. Mm. Always seeking out happiness is bullshit. Like that you might as well just become some type of drug addict or something because it's the, but contentment, being at peace with what is, that's I think probably the more important thing. That's beautiful. That's lovely. That's a lovely. <laughs> oh, no, that's a lovely objective. Hold that one now. Yeah. I surprised myself with that one. All right. <laughs> so I guess we've made it. Do you think you could remind the listeners how to get hold of you, where to find you online and offline if possible or if applicable? surfstrengthcoach.com primary website you can check out all surf trips blogs workout programs app we're releasing an app like this week that'll be available instagram is surf strength coach facebook is like surf strength coach so that pretty much across the board you can get in touch with me through any one of those handles and yeah well thank you for having me on yeah it was a good chat it was great I can rant and ramble so no it's good <laughs> hopefully some of it was decent excellent no it's all fantastic material and i think it's really going to help the listeners out there who are surfers and who are maybe struggling with health issues or you know just getting to their best level and enjoying it the most you know not coming out with a crooked back or a whatever when they come out of the water and i think that's really nice that's it again right like this whole health equals surfing like we're all going to have serious health tragedies at some point or another, whether it's acute injuries or chronic illness or depression. And that all downstreams into our ability to surf and again, interact with the ocean, which is what we ultimately want to do. So mm -hmm. it's not just fitness. It's not just some workout program. It is this all encompassing thing that people just need to consider. So yeah, yeah. hopefully you shed some awareness on it. Well, great. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for being such a great guest. And, yeah, uh, thank you very much. Uh, Stoked see, on it. See you soon. I'll let you know when the podcast is dropping. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Wow, that was an amazing conversation. I really hope you enjoyed it. I love the way Chris has created a job that he's passionate about and the amount of knowledge that he's acquired over the years. I love Chris's systemic approach to fitness and I think he has so much more to share. So I really encourage you to skip over to his website, surfstrengthcoach.com and sign up to one of his courses, one-to-one -one coaching or even an epic surf trip. I also encourage you to sign up to his YouTube channel because he has a really interesting series on all types of surf-related injuries and how to overcome them. This conversation has definitely encouraged me to clean up my diet and get fitter. To get hold of Chris, skip to surfstrengthcoach.com, his website, or follow him on Instagram at surfstrengthcoach, Facebook at surfstrengthcoach, or YouTube at surfstrengthcoach. There's some precious content out there, and the next surf trips he's organising with Clayton Niba are in 2020, so there's the MentorWise for first-timers in March, Nicaragua in June, there's Sri Lanka and North Sumatra for the really expert surfers. Watch out for the app that's coming out too and all the links to the books, the podcasts and the references are in the show notes of this episode. So they're on your podcast app and on the weekly article that I publish on medium.com. In any case, you'll be able to find Chris sharing his knowledge on his Instagram stories too. So it's well worth looking him up. If you have any comments or you'd like to support this podcast in any way, there are loads of ways of contributing. Number one, head over to iTunes and give the podcast a few stars, a review, or better still, subscribe. This helps with the podcast ranking and lets more people find out about it. Alternatively, you can tell your parents, friends, surf buddies, in fact, anyone who'd enjoy finding out about the lives of my awesome guests who happen to be surfers. Number two, you can support this podcast by donating $3 to my Buy Me A Coffee page. The URL is buymeacoffee.com slash oceanriders and links to it are in the show notes. This will help me pay for my hosting bills and my awesome podcast editor, Isabella. 
Number three, join me for an episode. Feel free to email me at hello at theoceanriderspodcast.com if you'd like to join me for a chat and share your story. Finally, you can follow me on Instagram or on Facebook. Just look up The Ocean Riders Podcast and links to it are on theoceanriderspodcast.com. Special thanks to Chris Mills for being such an eloquent and inspiring guest and for teaching us so much. And thank you guys for listening. You guys are amazing. Until next week, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.